0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is
1: calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. The Jewish leaders come unglued. You're not supposed to do that. We don't do that. That's, that's like working on the Sabbath. We do, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath. You're working on the And Jesus comes along and he stretches them about things just like that. Listen, he says to them, Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was God's gift to us to rest. And it was stuff just like that all the time that Jesus was coming along and doing and it rattled them.
0: Every time Jesus bumped up against the traditions of the religious people of his time, they seemed to fall apart. He didn't respect their personal agendas, and that really rubbed them the wrong way. Today, Jesus will do it again by healing someone on the Sabbath. Pastor Gary is going to share how irritating this was to the religious leaders, but how perfectly Jesus handled it all. Jesus had a better agenda, and they simply couldn't see it. He had the perfect intentions, but they were holding tightly to tradition. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: By the time we read this story here, John the Baptist has been in prison, it is believed, for about a year. And he's growing disillusioned. You know, look, there are a lot of people in this world, you, you, might, you might even love Jesus, and you, you have a heart for him. John the Baptist clearly loved Jesus, had a heart for him, was the first one to really announce who Jesus was when Jesus comes at the beginning of his ministry to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist declares, behold the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. There was no confusion with John the Baptist about who Jesus was and is. What set in was discouragement because of his circumstances. He finds himself now in prison, and little does he know, but what's about to happen is he's going to be beheaded, and things aren't working out the way that he had hoped. And there are a lot of good people who love the Lord that are in situations where they find themselves, and and life is just not turning out the way that they had hoped. Now, put that on pause for a moment, back to the story. I'll come back to the relevance for us today. But Jesus sends John the Baptist's disciples back to John the Baptist with this report. He basically quotes, Jesus does, out of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. He quotes Old Testament messianic prophecy. And Jesus basically says, I'm doing exactly what the prophet said the Messiah would do. I'm giving sight to the blind, I'm raising the dead, I'm healing the sick, and I'm preaching the good news to the poor. And he doesn't just mean financially poor, he means poor in spirit, people who are spiritually bankrupt. I'm doing all these things. In other words, I'm fulfilling the scriptures that were written about me hundreds of years in advance. Let the scriptures be evidence that I am fulfilling what the prophet said. Go back and tell John this. But then what Jesus adds at the end of all that, it's not just for John the Baptist, but it's for all of us, even today. Because when Jesus adds, there in verse 23, Blessed is the man, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. What he's saying is that life will at times be very, very difficult. And things will happen that you didn't expect. Sometimes bad things. Sometimes difficult things, dark things. And Jesus is basically in that verse saying to us, please hold on, don't lose faith in me. Blessed is the one who does not fall away, basically saying, because I have not done everything you think I should do. In essence, look, what we have to hold on to in those dark, desperate times is a reminder that he is still on the throne, and he is still Lord, and he is still sovereign. And even when things don't go according to plan the way we hope and the way we want, it is no reflection on a Bad God. God is still good. And ultimately, we can take comfort in what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 13, when he says, I do not compare my present sufferings with the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. Because we have to always remember that though this world will have its share of troubles and difficulties and trials and discouragements, that Jesus still loves us and he's still on the throne. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives and the ultimate reward of heaven when we die. So hang in there and persevere and continue to trust the Lord and lean on him because he will never leave us nor forsake us. And John the Baptist was in a bad spot. I mean physically and emotionally and spiritually and we can all get there from time to time. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away in account of me. When I don't do everything that you think I should do, please don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. I'm still Lord. That's the takeaway from that section. And so look at verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he said, what what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I'll pause there for a moment. So, so Jesus then, you know, turns to the crowds. You know, they've overheard what he said to the messengers of John the Baptist. Go back and tell John this. But then, to the crowd, he's going to do a little ministry here. And what he basically says is, you know, what do what do you think about John? Who is he? He's not just some messenger who is, who sways like the reeds. And it's this picture of you know, like reeds, tall grass in in the field that sway with the wind. He's like, John the Baptist is not somebody who's just, you know, persuaded by, by every trend and, and every wind of doctrine that comes along. He, he's not like that. And, and he also talks about how, you know, he, he's not about being dressed in fine clothes, not that there's anything wrong with fine clothes or luxury in palaces, but he says, you know, that's what not, he wasn't called to do that. He's not about image. He's not into appearance. He's not into popularity being swayed like, by the wind, uh, like, like reeds. He's not dressed in fine clothes. he's not, he's not all about image appearance. He's a prophet. And, and, and he's a prophet of God that came from God, announced by God in advance. And Jesus even quotes uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, uh, actually quotes out of Malachi: "I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way for you." And uh, and and this is this is John the Baptist. Now, in verse twenty-eight, it's a, it's a there are two interpretations. To verse 28, and I'll tell you what a popular one is, and then I'll tell you what a not so popular one is, and that's the one I happen to lean towards. But he says, This I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, I will tell you the way that almost every Bible commentary reads and interprets this passage, uh, and, and it goes like this John the Baptist, Jesus is saying, according to some commentators and commentaries and theologians John the Baptist great prophet no one greater than John the Baptist however the new testament saint being this side of the cross now being under grace and part of the new covenant the new testament were greater than John the Baptist because he was in, he was under the old covenant not not in great not greater in in the sense of um, importance or significance, but uh, greater in kind. We're New Testament people. He was the last of Old Covenant, Old Testament people, and that's how most Bible commentators read concerning that passage. That that we. As Christians, as New Testament saints are under the new covenant, so we are of a greater kind because we're new covenant people, and he's old covenant people. And so though he was a great prophet of the Old Testament, we are in a sense greater than John the Baptist because we are under grace now under the new covenant. That's the way most Bible commentaries read. And I just don't agree with that. In the first place, I don't feel like I'm going to be near the front of the line. I think John the Baptist is going to be in the front of the line. I'm going to be way in the back, seeing the back of his head. Okay. So I don't think Jesus is talking New Testament, Old Testament, you know, you New Testament saints greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist in heaven will be at the back of the row. You New Testament saints get front row seats. I don't, I don't think that's what he means in, in any way, shape, or form. I think he's talking about someone specifically. In fact, he, he speaks in, in a singular, Person here. He says, I tell you, among those plural born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He didn't say those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John. He says, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. I think he's talking about some one individual specifically. He's talking about the one who is least in the kingdom, the one who is least full of himself, the one who is least about uh, pride, the one who is least about position, the one who is least about uh, authority is this one. And the one who was least about all those things, the one who was most humble, most surrendered, uh, most uh, submitted to the will of the Father, least in the kingdom, emptied of self, is Jesus. I think what he's saying here is, John the Baptist was a great prophet, and there's no prophet that can compare to him. But the one who was least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. I think he's pointing to himself. Remember in the previous story, they're like, "Wow, in name, they're like, "Hey, a prophet is among us." And Jesus wants to separate prophet from Son of God. John the Baptist, great, wonderful man of God, great prophet, but there's one who is least in the kingdom, and the one who was least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, and the one who was least in the kingdom in terms of taking on leastness, if that's a word, you know the, the least full of himself, the least proud the least arrogant the least selfish is none other than jesus because he was the most of the opposite of those qualities he was the most humble most surrendered most submitted to the will of the father he he was in every way the most selfless so i think he's speaking specifically of one and he's speaking of himself john the baptist great prophet no one born a woman greater than john yet one was least in the kingdom of god greater than he And verse 29 says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Now, you know, it's nothing that something's... this is a parenthetical comment. You can see it here in parentheses. Luke is, is not suggesting to us that, you know, people who were baptized by John, then were kind of, John the Baptist, were, you know, more magically gifted here in some way. It, it's just this. It's people who, who repented and were baptized by John the Baptist. Well, Those people, their eyes are open. And those same people will be the ones who accept Jesus, who follows John the Baptist. Uh, the ones who rejected John the Baptist will also reject Jesus. So that, that's all that he means there. And then Jesus continues to speak here, verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 31. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So let me break this down a little bit. Jesus is referring to the marketplace, would have been busy, you know, every day. That's where life occurred in in the town market. In these days, you went every day. I mean, you know, you had no refrigeration, you had no storage. So you went every day to market to take what you, to buy what you needed, and He's, Jesus is referring to, apparently, some kind of game that kids would play. And Jesus compares his generation to kids in the marketplace who would, who would play this game, calling to each other. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. And, and it, he's talking about the first part has to do with a wedding. You played a flute, and you didn't dance. He's talking about rejoicing. And the last part is what happens at a funeral. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. And it seems that what Jesus is saying is that his generation the people who did not accept him or John the Baptist for that matter because he puts them both together he says it's because we come along and we do things that are somewhat unconventional right you know so you play the flute and we don't dance for you you, you sing a dirge and we don't cry we we're not playing your games we, we've come we're doing things differently and and this this is what this is what you know, the people objected to. You know, Jesus heals on the Sabbath and he strolls through a grain field on the Sabbath and his disciples pluck the heads of the grain, they rub it in their hands, separating the wheat from the chaff, and they eat on, on, on the Sabbath in that way and, and the Jewish leaders come unglued. You're not supposed to do that. We don't do that. That's, that's like working on the Sabbath. We do, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath. You're working. And Jesus comes along and he stretches them about things just like that. Listen, he says to them, Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was God's gift to us to rest. And it was stuff just like that all the time that Jesus was coming along and doing and it rattled them. Like we don't you do know, we don't get what you're doing here. And and you know you're gonna see in the next story here. He's he's gonna be anointed by a sinful woman. It's a euphemism for a prostitute. He's letting a prostitute touch him, and people again are they're, they're coming unglued. Like hey, this is a this is a prostitute. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be hanging out and you shouldn't be letting her touch you like this. But see, Jesus was always doing things that were challenging to to the status quo. And that's why they're like, you know and he's using this little cute little nursery rhyme or whatever the children, children do in the day. And he's like, you know, we don't play by your rules. Don't look at us and, you know, we, we played the flute, you don't dance, we sang a dirge, you, you don't cry. Because I've come here to shake up the status quo. So look at the next story here. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And we learned a little bit further down that that Pharisee's name is Simon. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, now note that. He didn't say this out loud. Okay, he's just, this is his inner monologue right here, okay? And please note, God reads our thoughts, okay? In case you didn't know. In case there was any guessing here, you're going to see it right here. So he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So uh, Jesus is invited to this dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. I, I heard one guy once on the radio teaching this passage, and he said, "You know, this would have been no big deal, okay? Jesus, you know, uh, reclined at people's houses all the time, and you know, the fact that, that a prostitute from town came wandering in to the dinner probably would have been nothing unusual." And and I listen, and I'm just thinking, "Are you kidding me? You know, he, he's sitting at at a, at, a, at a dinner, reclining." because that's how they would eat typically they would recline and um, the door's probably propped open you know it's 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 israel it can get it can get warm and maybe just trying to catch a cool breeze of the day and in walks this prostitute and starts touching jesus's feet now you, you try to go to some big fancy dinner party that you're invited to and you're wearing your tux you're not going to be laying down you're wearing your tux and uh, all of a sudden some woman dressed up in in red pumps and really tight dress, and the hair's all done, you know, to the nines and all this stuff, and everybody knows who she is, and she comes walking up next to you and starts massaging your neck. You're, what's your reaction? Get away from me. I don't even know you, you know? Or you better at least look like you don't know her. <laughs> and, and what's happening here is, what's happening here is Jesus is unfazed, not because this is a normal thing that happens, but because this is, this is you know, of all the many things you can say about Jesus and, and all the wonderful qualities that you love about him. There's this tender moment right here where Jesus did something that probably this woman had never experienced, maybe even in her lifetime. Because to to be a prostitute, something has gone wrong early on for her to end up doing this for a living. Who knows what? But probably for the very first time in her life, she met a man who genuinely loved her. I mean, genuinely loved her and didn't recoil, wasn't, you know, put off. He allowed her to just touch him, and he wasn't repulsed, and he wasn't, he didn't shun her. Just love about how no matter what our lifestyle, no matter what our past, no matter what we've done, Jesus will never push us away. The fact that he received her spoke volumes to her. I wonder if she even worried a little bit about being rejected. I'm going to go in here, and you know, I'm 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 weeping at, at his feet here. I've got some perfume. He he might he might just really push me away, and maybe she's even wondering, am I going to be rejected here? And because you, you know, to be sexually abused, and that's and that's really what in in, in prostitution, that's really what it is. Because, in, in a, you know, you're paying for sex, and it's a man who's taking advantage of a woman. There's, there's really no greater rejection than that. And Jesus, the, for the first time, she's met a man who is not rejecting her, but loving her, and, and being touchable, and being real. Now, Simon, see, Simon has the mindset of, you know, if this guy were really a righteous guy, he would know what man or woman is touching him, and he, and he, and he wouldn't allow this. And Jesus challenges him, knowing his thoughts, with that little parable about somebody who owed 500 denarii and some guy who owed 50, and, and, and both were forgiven. Who do, you think, who do you think loved the debt forgiven more? And Simon answers correctly, well, the guy that had the bigger debt. And Jesus is using that to illustrate sin. Because to the degree that you know you've been forgiven by Jesus, depending, of course, on what you've done, and you know your past... You're going to love him more when you know that you've been forgiven more. And this woman is going to love Jesus because she knows her life and she knows her past. And she has much more reason to love him because she's just been forgiven incredible stuff in her life. And the people who can appreciate the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus will love him most. When you look at your life and you recognize Jesus died on the cross for everything I've ever done and you begin to calculate in your mind all the stuff you've done and Jesus died for all of that, that should motivate us to love him more because it was his love. He first loved us, died on a cross for our sins knowing all the stuff we'd ever done. And I would just suggest that if you don't really supremely love Jesus, then you probably have not considered how much He has forgiven you of. Because when you really come to grips with with what He's really forgiven you and me of, all that He died for us concerning, it will motivate us to love Him more. Simon, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. And then he tenderly turns to her and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way, you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online. So please, join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at CornerstoneChapel.net That's prayer at CornerstoneChapel.net That's all we have time for today but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.